This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Think back to, I don't even know what grade it would be. This might be a kindergarten game because kids are farther along than we ever used to be. Kindergarten kids are doing things that you know we never dreamed to do. You learn to read in grade one. What do you mean, learn to read before then? That's... It's kind of the way it was. You learn your times tables in grade four. So I'm not sure what age it would be. But do you remember having a teacher who would say, okay, everybody line up along the wall by height, tallest to shortest. And you'd have to kind of look at people and arrange yourself. And you kind of, am I taller than you? Okay, I need to be over here. Or then it would be, arrange yourself along the wall from youngest to oldest. And then there'd be a whole big piece of commotion as people said well when are you born i'm april oh okay i'm a may so i'm i'm on this side of you okay it would be difficult for adults to do this now it's a real thinking exercise but essentially that's what provinces are doing across this country that's what territories are doing in this country in trying to figure out who gets the vaccine next we have things started but who gets the vaccine next And in some ways, it's easy to figure out. In a lot of ways, it is not. If we were able to say, okay, everybody in the province of, you know, you name it, Ontario, B.C., line up along the wall, oldest to youngest, and that's the way we would go, we'd have a really long line in both of those provinces. But we would also have things spelled out very plainly. Oh, you're born in July? And you are born in June, you're both 85, you're here, you're here, bingo. Done. Easy. But life's not easy, and there are a lot of things to keep in mind. And one of those things needs more of a voice, and that is where persons with disabilities would fit in that line of when to get the vaccine. And a major voice is being given to persons with disabilities by a group that is emerging in B.C. Mike Waddingham is part of that group and joins us now. Mike, thanks for being here. Yeah, hi there. Thanks for having me. Mike, it would be really easy to do youngest to oldest, oldest to youngest, tallest to shortest. We can figure out those things. But when we have to start thinking about factors, we want to make sure that we're not misplacing any particular individual who maybe should go ahead of others. And when we look at persons with disabilities, when we look at, say, someone who has Down syndrome, what do you think we have to keep in mind? I think the first thing to keep in mind is there's a lot of, there are a lot of things in healthcare that are difficult. Uh, that, that is a response that we've had. You know, we want to keep it simple. Uh, we want to, you know, be able to easily identify people for priority. And age is obviously something that we carry around in our wallets and in the form of ide- identification that they can validate. But like I said, a lot of things are difficult. Um, <laughs> surgery is very difficult. You know, treatment of people with uh, chronic uh, illness is, is difficult. So I don't buy the fact, you know, the, the notion that just because it's hard, we shouldn't do it. So, I mean, I come from a you know, my own, my own background is a dad of, of a young man uh, who lives with Down syndrome. My son, Aaron, uh, was born, uh, 
you know, with that disability. And, and what a lot of people don't know is that Down syndrome comes with a host of uh, medical uh, conditions as well. So he's been hospitalized twice with pneumonia. He's had, um, you know, uh, various other uh, surgeries and, and illnesses because of Down syndrome. And so when it comes to something like COVID, uh, you know, he's at, he's at risk. He's at a greater risk, even at age 17. So when you look at when you look at the priority for my son, uh, he'll get it long after I would be eligible for it, and I'm a healthy 57 year old. So and that's that's not right. Like that's that's completely wrong. But I think I think the bigger story is for older adults with Down syndrome because many of them live with chronic health conditions. Uh, some of them are dying uh, from COVID. Certainly, the rate of hospitalization and death is much much higher than the general population, and those older adults should be vaccinated as uh, as a near to top priority. And in raising this as something that maybe hasn't had enough consideration, what kind of a response are you getting, Mike? It varies. For the most part, uh, the allies, we'll call them, emerge. I mean, we've been, my wife Sue Robbins and I have been, have been fighting and advocating for our son since he was born. Um, one thing people might not realize is that people with disabilities are discriminated against both systematically in terms of government policy and programs and services, but also by individuals, people, uh, the, the, whether it's fear or lack of understanding or other issues. Um, you know, there's certainly um, a bias uh, against those who aren't, uh, aren't fully able, shall we say. So, you know, we're talking we're... with Mike Waddingham and Mike is talking about his son who is 17, lives with Down syndrome, and the idea that maybe we're not, no matter what the province is, maybe we're not taking enough into consideration. Because, Mike, like you say, you would be right now technically in line before your 17-year-old son. So where do we need to take this? Right. So, I mean... First of all, let's just let's get a, a couple of facts out there. So a study in the UK recently indicated that there was four times the hospitalization rate of people with Down syndrome due to COVID and 10 times the death rate. So we're talking about something that's fairly significantly greater risk, right? And so what we're, you know, what we're looking for is, is clear policy. One of the things I get frustrated with, and, and maybe you do too, is Canadian government's ways of we're you know, offering up word salad to solutions. So I'm going to read you something here. So the National Advisory Committee on Immunization says that, quote, efforts should be made to increase access to immunization services to reduce health inequities without further stigmatization or discrimination and to engage systematically marginalized populations and racialized populations in immunization program planning. That guideline is used by the provinces to do what? It says should. It doesn't say must. It does not mention disability. It uses a bunch of words that are subject to interpretation. And as a result, none of the provinces have acted. And, and that's frustrating to us because we know, we know the studies are showing that our kids and siblings, in many cases, we're talking about older people and, and uh, they're advocating for their siblings. Uh, we know that they are much more likely of, of dying from COVID. And I think the other thing, Mike, is that it's, it's not just the, you know, the incidence of illness and death. It's, it's the cloistering. It's the protecting of our son that we have to do. So we, we have, I won't say that we haven't left our condo uh, in a year, but we're very cautious. We pulled our kid out of school last March, right? We, we have been very, very cautious in terms of interactions. I took him to the mall yesterday for the first time in a year, right? So 
you know, there's, there's a certain lifestyle impact as well on top of the health conditions that needs to be considered. And clear well, policy can do that. You're right. You're absolutely right, it can. Mike, it's been great getting this perspective because you have put a voice, and so has your wife, to something that should be in a discussion right now as we figure out how do we line up for vaccines. We really appreciate the time. Just one more point quickly. Government, oh, please. Of, the Northwest, government of the Northwest Tories has already done this. So we have a success. Uh, if you visit our website, readyformyshot.ca, you can find it all there. Uh, government of Northwest Tories recently changed the policy to include all people with disabilities as a priority for the COVID vaccine. So it's not like it can't be done. It has been done. As we say, we've got uh, one down, 12 to go, and we're going to keep pushing until everyone has this policy in place. Well, keep doing it. Readyformyshot.ca. And if there's a blueprint, that makes it easy. Isn't the hardest yeah. uh, domino to push over the first one? Exactly, yeah. Mike, keep it up. Really appreciate the time and stay safe. Thanks so much. Bye now. That's Mike Waddingham. Mike is the father of a 17-year-old living with Down syndrome and has been looking, saying, hang on, let's look at some of the additional health concerns that people with disabilities have. You, you name whatever it happens to be, but as Mike outlines, when it comes to Down syndrome, his son has been hospitalized with pneumonia before, and yet if we line it up as things are set out by governments at this point, you would have Mike going after, or sorry, Mike going before his son in that line. And it's something that Mike and his wife have been advocates for throughout this process of putting together that list. So check that out. Readyformyshot.ca The Habit Change Challenge, which allows you to take a habit that you don't like. I always have to have something to worry about. I want to change that. I want to get rid of that. Or maybe you introduce a good habit into your Life. So let's find out more about where this is coming from and how we play a role. John McFarlane is the president and CEO of the London Health Sciences Foundation. John, how are things? Uh, things are great, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's an exciting little project we're working on. Well, I think we could all count up a lot of bad habits that we all have really, really quickly. So I think we all have what you're looking for. What is the Habit Change Challenge? So the Habit Change Challenge is an idea that came out of our, uh, the staff of our foundation, um, basically to, to look at uh, how we can change our behaviors uh, in a positive way to improve our own well-being. And you know what, the, the, the key is that uh, this is all in support of uh, our mental health program at London Health Sciences Centre called FEMAP, which is the first episode mood and anxiety program. So all of this is uh, to have some fun, but also to raise money for an extremely important cause uh, right here in our, in our, uh, in our city. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it, we're going to have some fun with it. And, and uh, essentially what we're uh, asking people to do is take a look at things, as you suggested in the open, take a look at uh, things that you may want to, change, may want to do differently. In my case, I think I may want to exercise more. That would be a, a, not a habit. Of, well, I guess not exercising has been a habit, and I want to get out of that. So I'm going to try and do that over the next 66 days. And that's just one example. But there are others, and we have a long list of uh, experts and partners in the community who are working with us on, uh, on this uh, initiative. So you have 66 days 
in order to make the change. Why 66 days? Well, you know what? The, uh, our research tells us that in order to make sustainable change to something you're doing, it takes 66 days. Now, there are some who would say 20 days or a month or whatever, but uh, in order for uh, the key is sustainability and, and making that change for the long term. And that's where, uh, why we're focusing on the 66 days. Um, and because uh, we want it to be fun, but we also want it to be long lasting for people. All right. So we take something that we would either like to inject into our lives, like more exercise or a habit that we'd like to get rid of in our lives. And over the course of 66 days, we try and get that going. So how do we then raise money in doing this? So what we're asking people to do is go to our website. It's lhsf.ca uh, backslash habit change challenge and register for this initiative. And what we're asking people to do is raise uh, $500 from your friends and family um, and uh, or more, obviously. And, uh, and, and the more, obviously, we get uh, involved in this, the more money we're going to raise. We have a goal of $50,000 overall. But more importantly, I think it uh, gives people an opportunity to make some change in their lives and support a critical program at our hospital. We're talking with John McFarland, president and CEO of the London Health Sciences Foundation, and we're talking about the 66-day Habit Change Challenge, which is slated to begin on Monday, March the 1st, and continue through until May the 5th. So 66 days to either add a good habit into your life or remove a habit from your life. And as John says, it is in support of FEMAP, at the hospital. Can you tell us a little bit more about what FEMAP does, John? Right. So FEMAP is, uh, as I say, first episode mood and anxiety program at LHSC. is a real critical program uh, for youth and young adults in the sort of the 16 to 25 age category. And there is a huge need for this. And it, what it is, it's uh, this program helps uh, treat uh, uh, folks in this age category with their first bout of mental illness. And um, this program is totally funded by donors. Uh, We've had an extremely uh, generous community support FEMAP over the years. But but the fact of the matter is because it's so popular, because it's so successful, there is a huge demand. And so, uh, you know, we could have a wait time that's, uh, you know, six to ten months to get in. So what we're doing is uh, the hospital is trying to expand this program, and part of that is to raise funds to, to help them do that so that we can reach more people with this, uh, this uh, uh, fabulous program. So that's, that's the, uh, uh, the purpose uh, of, of this fundraiser is to help uh, enhance that program. There are prizes to be won, and there are dollars to be raised to keep that program going, and there are habits to be changed. So go to LHSF, London Health Sciences Foundation, lhsf.ca, backslash habit change challenge. In the meantime, we'll do what we can to provide you with up-to-the-minute information on what you need and hopefully a little entertainment every once in a while, certainly information number one. But we have an opportunity to fill your time with something that you maybe haven't heard in a long time. But we are bringing it back. And The It is a show hosted by the one and only Dick Williams. And we are lucky enough to have Dick Williams with us 
on London Live right now. Dick, how are things going? Everything is uh, fine with the world. Dick, you have a legendary place in London radio, and it is one that we're very excited to know is continuing in a whole new way. Let's give you the microphone because, you know, anytime you can give Dick Williams a microphone, you're doing something right. Tell us what it is that you are up to and what we can look forward to hearing. Well, 60 years ago this year, I uh, first came through the doors as an employee of CFBL as just a a shallow youth and and basically uh, started to do a rock and roll radio show. (laughs) And here in uh, 2021, uh, as of Saturday uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm back and it's solid gold rock and roll. And I think that you will be in for a lot of surprises, three hours of great songs, plus a whole bunch of memories of the Forest City that you may not even know about. And that's fantastic. So if you think back 60 years ago, I mean, are you going to be playing some of the songs that you would have been playing on the air then, now? You betcha. And a little later as well. So it's a, a hits from the, the, the mid-60s through the mid-70s, and that should... Uh, appeal to a pretty wide group i think during that 10 or 12 year span so three hours on saturday three hours on sunday 11 to 2 we can already mark that down and this is something that is going to come with all kinds of different london trivia as well tell us a little bit about (laughs) what sorts of things we're going to learn about the city well, lots of uh flashbacks including uh just on the first show we mentioned uh johnny cash and uh, his appearances in London, and then the fact that he was picked up by another London resident, Saul Holliff, as his agent, and went on to even greater fame, and that's just one. And then he, of course, married uh, June Carter. That's just one story of many, many hundreds of stories that I've been able to uh, come across and uh, are able to present. And things like uh, the old London arena is mentioned, and places where you used to eat, like Madgewicks or... uh, uh, the Seven Dwarfs and things, just looking back on the history of London and how people lived in that day. The Seven Dwarfs. We're talking with Dick Williams, and already we're getting some good blasts from the past. Dick, you've got to tell us the story of you walking through the doors. You say it very nonchalantly, but what took you through those doors? What brought you into radio? I was uh, growing up as a kid in the 50s in Kitchener, and listened and heard two phenomenal disc jockeys, Johnny Walters, who did the afternoon show at PL, and also Dave Wilson, or as he was known as Old Dave. It turns out Old Dave was only about 25 when I first met him in person. But I kept in touch with Ward Cornell, who was the station general manager at the time, and Ward was looking to uh, change his lineup of disc jockeys, and he hired uh, John Dickens as the morning show host of Open Line and said, Dick, would you be interested in coming back and doing an evening show? And I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And I, I just adored the sound of CFPL because it was really a pro-pro station. And, of course, I might add to this day that uh, Heritage tradition continued. So it's a station that I'd always wanted to work at. And when I got there, boy, oh, boy, I, I had such fun and such great memories and met such wonderful people. And there's a lot of stories behind the scene that 
I detailed in my book called A DJ Spin that I put out a year or two ago, which people should find interesting reading if they choose to do so. Dick Williams joining us as we talk about a new show that we can hear coming up Saturdays and Sundays, 11 to 2 on 980 CFPL. Does it have an official name? Because shows in the 60s and 70s, they all had these names. Does it have a name? Yeah, it does. It's called Solid Gold Rock and Roll. And guess what? That's what we're going to be playing. (laughs) Dick, do you remember the first words you said on radio? Uh, no, but I can recall uh, one of the interesting things that I I did as a kid, my f- very first shift uh, back in Kitchener. I was 16 years old on the radio, and I had my own evening shift, and I was reading a newscast, and I said to ex-president Hebert Hoover, Hoover Hebert, he, <laughs> instead of Herbert Hoover. <laughs> I could never, and once you've made that mistake, you can never seem to get through that hurdle every time since, but. That's back in the days when disc jockeys, when they came in to do a shift, wouldn't do a style of show. They might do news. They might spend an hour being an operator for, let's say, a German language program, then be the host of the Guy Lombardo Hour for half an hour, then play a half an hour or an hour of uh, pop records, and then uh, later in the evening, after doing the 11 o'clock evening news, go into a jazz show. And, play, and totally different styles, of course, because, I mean, uh, the sound of uh, the modern jazz quartet, you don't introduce them as the, as the Beatles. You know, you have to say, oh, ladies and gentlemen, here is the modern jazz quartet with Johnny Coltrane. And, you know, so it, it really required more than just the one-trick ponies. Yeah, and you think about radio being all things to all people, and I think we still try and do that, but as you describe it, that's exactly what it was, you know, a German show, a Guy Lombardo show, the news, a farm report, everything seemed to be covered off at various stages of the day just because radio was, that was, that was it in a lot of cases, wasn't it? That's right, and, and uh, you know, it made for a more seasoned and experienced disc jockey, and of course, uh, trying all those different styles and perfecting them uh, made a more polished performers out of anybody who was on the air at that point. And I might add that one of the incredible uh, people that was on the air when I first joined CFPL was Al Mitchell, who did the afternoon show, but earlier had done a show called The Penthouse. And was that listening exceptionally interesting? Because Al would play the last three or four chords of the song that he had just played as a recording. He would be live in the studio, sitting behind a grand piano with a microphone, and he'd chord the last three or four bars of the song and and then play cocktail music in behind his voice and say, we'll move on next as we listen to the sound of uh, June Christie and Moonlight in Vermont. And the song would start. So it, it, it was more than even just a disc jockey. He was a musician disc jockey. So that's the kind of style and class that CFPL had at that time. What happened to the piano when he wasn't on the air? Where do you, you can't just hide that in a drawer somewhere. What do you do with a grand piano? <laughs> that, that's covered in, in my book. It's not fit for broadcast. But amongst other things, that piano suffered a terrible fate. One evening, some of the uh, staff, I just happened to be around. I didn't do it. I just watched as uh, um, someone had brought a, a shotgun into the station and was cleaning it. And one of my operators said, uh, uh, Mr. 
sometimes they really work. And long story short, they put shells in the, in the shotgun and shot it at the piano. Blew holes all through the the uh, the bat covering it when it wasn't in use, and pretty much destroyed it. As you can expect, you know, you don't shoot a shotgun inside a small radio studio without doing some significant damage to the piano. They always said days of the past in radio were a little different. I didn't know that's what they meant right there. <laughs> Dick Williams. All true. I was there. Dick Williams joining us. The host of Solid Gold Rock and Roll coming up Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 2 on 980 CFPL with that different London-based factual history and all kinds of other fun on the way. Dick, nicknames in radio. You mentioned Old Dave, who somehow wasn't old at all. Uh, Nicknames. How many nicknames did you go through? Because it seemed that DJs always had to have some kind of additional name. Well, that's very true. I worked with a guy uh, in Cincinnati called The Wild Child. Another guy, uh, whose name was Jim Dahlmeyer, uh, became well-known in the States as a Jim Dandy uh, after the Laverne Baker title of the, the song Jim Dandy to the rescue. And uh, everybody had this, uh, Ron the Runt I worked with, uh, you know, Cousin Brucey, who, like me, is making a comeback currently at uh, in New York City on WABC 77 Music Radio. And that was one of the things that sort of spurred me to say, hey, you know, this is viable this is fun. People are tired of some of the negative news coming uh, across his headlines. And of course, we're all uh, shut down in, in, co- in COVID situations. And, you know, the, the world needs a little bit of fun, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of break from the blahs. And I, I hope that that's what I'm going to be able to bring to this solid gold on, on uh, CFPL this weekend. Dick, of all the music you've played, do you have a favorite artist or a favorite song? Well, there are so so many of them, but I mean, in terms of the the vintage that we're talking about, some of the B sides of the Beatles songs, and some of the uh, the ones that didn't quite get to number one, but uh, in my life uh, by the Beatles, and uh, oh, there just were so many that they were beautiful to listen to. Uh, they were an incredible example of flexibility, learning on the job improving, really upping their game as they went along and getting better and better and better. And they weren't too darn good or too darn bad to start with. Well, this is fantastic, Dick. I love that this is something that we're bringing to the lineup, and it has been such a pleasure talking with you. I owe you so much for things that I've been able to do in my career. You and I got to know each other, and uh, and I, th- I think I DJed for a company that you had set up a few years ago, and I still have so yeah. many great stories and so many great experiences from having done that. I was a kid just out of school trying to feed myself, so thanks for the meals, because without you, I, I would have been eating a lot of jam sandwiches. <laughs> well, that's radio for you. Anything's possible. Dick, look forward to the show kicking off. And again, 11 to 2 Saturday is the first time that you will hear solid gold rock and roll as Dick Williams is back in London. Love it. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you very soon. Thanks, Mike. Thanks very much for talking. That is the legendary Dick Williams. Solid gold rock and roll. As Dick says it, hey, you know, you need a break from stuff. 
You do, and that's what this will provide. 11-2 to 2 Saturday, 11-2 to 2 on Sunday. You can check out Dick Williams and Solid Gold Rock and Roll and stories of, number one, if that story that he told about the shotgun and the piano, if you just stopped it at, you know, somebody brought a shotgun into the radio station one time, that's a good enough story right there. No, that, yeah. All right, that's that's odd. That's different. I didn't know that was done. Shotgun in the radio station. What were they doing? Well, they were cleaning it. Huh. In the radio station. Yep, just cleaning the shotgun. What, was their daughter on a date or something like that? What was going on? And then you find out that, well, you know, see if this works. And uh, what are we going to shoot at? you have any pillows or anything? Any uh, targets? No, but we got that grand piano over there that's been kicking around for a while. Well, let's see if we can't put a few holes in that. Unreal, but true stories coming up with Dick Williams this weekend. I don't think any other stories will be about shotguns and pianos, but uh, Dick is flush with stories. We'll have a good time. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.